Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. A new bookstore opened in Vancouver last month. You won't find the latest thrillers or mysteries or memoirs there. Instead, the Romance Era Bookshop, as its name suggests, is focused on the huge and increasingly popular market of romance novels. As owner Ren Rice told the Columbian recently, they started the store to create a safe space free of judgment where browsers can explore the many subgenres of romance and build community. Ren Rice joins me now. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. When did you first become interested in romance novels? Um, so I I feel like there's a universal like relation with the lockdown 2020 and then people getting back into reading. Mm. And um, that was true for you too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had quit my job because I just mentally couldn't can do it. Um, and so I got into reading um, fan fiction, actually, like a lot. Um, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I kind of filled the void of Star Wars movies by reading Star Wars fan fiction. And a lot of that fell into the romance genre. So it was a lot of like love stories within the universe of Star Wars that I really it's, loved. It's possible people listening now won't know what fan fiction oh, is. Yeah. Can you just describe <laughs> what, what what super fans do to yeah. fill in what they, what they think is missing? <laughs> yeah. So um, in the genre that I read, in the fandom that I read specifically, um, I was really a big fan of the the sequel trilogy. So that's the latest trilogy that came out. And a lot of us were really sad <laughs> about the relationship between Rey and Kylo Ren. So to fill that void of um, sadness and, you know, not, not uh, enjoying what happened, a lot of people wrote stories. And so it's it was all about fixing the movies, basically, in our own way, because like we couldn't fix them like for real, so let's fix them with stories. Mm-hmm. And for you, mm-hmm. the fan fiction you were drawn to, it happened yeah. to have romantic elements, yeah. and that was a kind of gateway for yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. In huh. um, talking to a lot of the authors that wrote those, it just kind of gave me a lot of insight into more of the subgenres of of romance so to speak so i was able to sort of document those things on my off time and then find them within published work and and i told my friend the other day like it for some reason when i thought of romance back then it didn't really click that there was more to it than the Harlequin novels and like, you know, those like little small cowboy dollar store like books that you've seen or or you know shirtless men, yeah, women I, with their dresses being ripped off. Exactly. Or both together. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there is a market for that. They're called bodice rippers, and so there is a market for that um, still today, which is really great. Um, but I didn't think that there was more to the romance genre until I was able to talk to a lot of people, and they were like, there's published books, you know? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so uh, what other subgenres do, do you think people – who don't read romance now mm-hmm. should be aware of what what are the the the, the big newer ones um i would say like a, a lot of the more popular ones lean towards uh contemporary so that's uh romance stories that take place in today so like they're all modern um that's a huge one a lot of people love like for example sports romances and like if you're and i just found this really cool community that loves um like the hockey team in seattle so they are all about reading hockey romances because they love the hockey team and that's like <laughs> and is, these are where where hockey professional 
hockey players are the romantic yeah. leads. Okay, they're so not just not, fans falling so in love with each other. Yeah, so not not in the published books where like they're not naming the oh, actual people. Oh, we're still in the in the, the world of <laughs> yeah, uh, so of fan fiction. Well, no, no, no. So like in a, in the published book, it's not like they're um, naming an actual person. It's like a hockey player falls in love with just a regular person, you know, <laughs> and that fulfills that like fantasy of hockey lovers that want to you know date hockey players but they can't so they read books <laughs> um so you fell in love with romance novels yeah. in in recent years mm-hmm. when did you decide that you would open up your own store so a romance bookstore wasn't clearly on the docket but a bookstore in general was um i I always wanted to open a bookstore. I've been a reader since I was a kid. I'm an only child, so my upbringing was books and movies. Um, So I knew, like, from a very young age, a bookstore is, like, the top goal in life for me. Um, But as I got older, much like most people, they sort of pushed the dream jobs and the dream things away for, like, more, this is, I got to do the nine to five to make the money. When you were little and the dream was to be a bookstore owner, I mean, what was, what was the fantasy? What were you doing during the day? What was the store like? It's it's a, it's a very specific kid's dream. Yeah, it is. Cause Cause like, you know, I did have for like fleeting moments where I was like, oh, teacher. Cause I had a Barbie that was a teacher and I was like, mm, maybe I could be a teacher, but no. And I always went back to bookstores, but it, it was always a, a bookstore cafe starting out where like I wanted to serve drinks and then have have books available and then as I got older it kind of blossomed into like a bookstore and a and a gaming store because I got into tabletop gaming so I wanted to offer that but um in the fantasy were you interacting with the the customers were were you talking about books with people (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is cool because it's like now I get to do that Um, so that actually that part has has come true mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so you always knew you wanted to own a bookstore. You got yeah. more interested in in romance books, but you have mm-hmm. your own career in apparel. I do. So, so <laughs> what made you say I'm actually going to take this on? Um, my therapist, and uh, she, God bless her, is just <laughs> amazing at what she does. But she more or less told me that um, retirement plans are like later, later plans are kind of stupid. Not her words. That's kind of the takeaway that I got from it. Cause she was like, there's never going to be a right time. There's, you know, you just got to do it. But don't I, put off stuff you want to exactly, do. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Um, and for some reason I took that to heart and I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then I just went for it. What was the <laughs> hardest part about actually creating the store? Um, getting the location because the end game actually, at this point in time, was it going to be a location because I do work a full-time job in apparel that I've worked towards, like, my whole adult career. Um, and so originally I was just going to be online and then pop-up. So I did start off doing pop-ups um, in Vancouver. But people started asking me, like, do you have a location? Are you going to get a location? I would love to shop, you know, in person. And so those seeds got planted and then just trying to track down a physical location became like the hurdle that I needed to get over. Can you describe the Lincoln Warehouse project where you are set up? It seems like a pretty unique space. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's an amazing space. Um, so the way that I describe it to people is a like community creative hub. Um, I'm actually the only full-time 
business in the warehouse, so my doors open during my open hours, but everyone else sort of floats in and out, so we've got like two in-house photographers. They both do amazing um, creative boudoir photography and like just amazing creative projects. Um, one of those is Marina, who owns the, you know, co-owns the warehouse. Um, there's body practitioners. There's a, my next door neighbor is actually a massage parlor uh, studio. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'll see people floating in and out of there, but it's a hub for classes and, um, events and it's all centered around, you know, community, body positive, sex positive, just like a great space for people that want to have those outlets, but haven't found it in Vancouver. Hmm. You used to work at Barnes & Noble. Yep. <laughs> Did that give you lessons about what you wanted to create in your own store or what you wanted to avoid? Um, it. I definitely learned that I don't like the corporate route. Um, and Barnes & Noble is great. I still have a membership there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like the idea that, you know, you have to push certain things like memberships. And um, there was just sort of a formula to it now, though, um, in recent years, because I worked in Barnes and Noble years ago. This was like before the rise of book talk on TikTok and like more book centric things popping up on social media. But now you go into a Barnes and Noble and you see the influence of social media like all over the place, and I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I think had I worked there now, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more than I did when I worked there before. What were your goals when you were physically setting up? your own store? I mean, what did you want people to feel or experience when they walked in? Um, I I always tell people the shop is like hanging out at your best friend's house um, because when you walk in, it's super cozy. Um, I don't like to use overhead lights, so all the lights are natural. And then when it gets darker, it's like Edison bulbs, so it's got that cozy sort of vibe to it. Um, There's access to food because I love snacks, so I have like a snack bar and a tea bar. but I wanted to create like a, a community and like a space where, like you said, um, there's no judgment because the romance genre is so it's so vast and there's a lot of aspects to it where, you know, it's only become more acceptable now to talk about certain aspects of that genre on the Internet. And uh, some people still don't feel comfortable talking about it publicly. So I like when people walk in, we can talk about books, we could talk about genres, we could talk about authors we like. And it's just like talking with your friend. <laughs> it's do, not. Do you find that, that still some people who walk in are embarrassed to talk to you, the store owner, about the books they're looking for? Um, no, because I kind of force them to talk to me. <laughs> really? <laughs> I do. Why? Um, not like not to be pushy, but it's like I, because you know I, I don't want the space to feel like you know you get to come in like kind of shy and like buy what you want and leave. I want that conversation. So it usually starts off with like, hey, are you looking for anything specific? And they'll say like, yeah, no. And I'm like, well, what do you like to read? And that just opens up that comfortability level, I think, because they know that I'm not really going to judge them because, like, I could just be sitting at a table reading a smut book, too, just like what they're looking for. So I I like that. I like to be able to, like, let people know, like, hey, you're fine here. It's a safe space here. We're going to talk about it. We can laugh about it. We can relate because I'm never going to yuck anyone's yum. That's also my motto. Like, you like what you like, and if I can provide a service and get you that book in your hands, then I will absolutely try my best hmm. to do that. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, we are talking right now with Ren Rice, the owner of the new bookstore, The Romance Era in Vancouver, Washington. 
this is this is a side gig in a sense. Mm-hmm. How important is it to you to make money? Um, right now, um, very <laughs> because I do want it to be my my full time. I would love to eventually transition out of the job that I have to do this more full time because I am wanting to do a lot more community centric things uh, that I just don't have time for right now. Um, so it's not just about building community and building body positivity. You want to also move merchandise. Well, yeah. I mean, I think anyone that opens a business obviously wants to make to money. Yeah. And like, yeah. And and with me, um, you know, I have to survive. So that is a huge, huge thing for it. But it's not something where I am making prices so high to make that money. I love the fact that I am most like primarily, if not all, a used bookstore. And I have one set price for paperbacks and one set price for hardcovers because I think reading should be accessible. Buying a $30 book is not doable for everybody, but you can come in and buy a $10 book and, you know, and get reading material. (laughs) So, and I think that's sort of what sets me apart a little bit is that people can come in and get like maybe three or four books of the cost of a new book and they get they get four books to read. <laughs> um, and then the, you know, the loyalty of that is if you don't like it, bring it back and, you know, you'll get 10% off your next purchase. That way that book can go into someone else's hands if you didn't like it. So building that community is important and building that, you know, uh, loyalty with myself and the people that come in. But obviously uh, working two jobs is very taxing because <laughs> I do work 40 hours a week at my full-time job. Um, so and then I, the, the limited hours on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then yeah, f- full hours like ten weekends. to five on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you how would you describe the, the evolution of the genre in terms of the diversity of authors who are being published these days compared mm-hmm. to twenty years ago? Yeah. Um, so being a new person in the genre, I still consider myself a newbie, only reading it since twenty twenty, but. Um, it's really cool now that I'm able to see, and I think it's in part due to social media, I'm able to connect with and see all the diverse authors that are making books. I can see the black women making romance stories. I can see the like gay men writing romance stories. And it's just because everyone's putting themselves out there. I'm not familiar with what the demographic was like before I started reading, but I think it's great to see and know that I can hop on the internet or I can go into a bookstore and it's just there. And um, I love that now with the rise of what I call, and I think many of us call illustrated covers, which is like most of the romance books do have uh, artwork that shows you what the characters look like. So if you're looking for a um, queer, maybe female-female romance, or one of them is a BIPOC person, um, nine times out of ten, you can look at a cover and say, okay, cool, yeah, this is it. You can judge the <laughs> you book can. by its cover you in, can, a, in a way actually. that's helpful for, yeah. for what people are yeah, looking for. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's really cool. <laughs> How do you decide what to carry? Um, I, if it looks and sounds like a romance book, I will, I will get it. <laughs> that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, even if it's not something that I read, I know for a fact someone's going to want to read it. Um, and because of the, the nature of how I acquire my books, I kind of grab what I, what I find. And especially if it's a diverse read, then 100% that's coming home with me. <laughs> um, cause I want to make sure that I, I have a lot of that stocked, but, 
um, yeah, it's really just if it's romance and I know that it's popular right now or I know or think, hey, someone might like this, I'll just grab it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you told the Colombian in a, in a great profile um, that they ran of you at the end of October um, that, that you're demi-romantic. Yes. What does that mean? And what does it mean in the context of running a romance bookstore? <laughs> um, so I'll just speak for myself because it, it does mean something different to everyone who identifies as that. But for me in particular, um, the romantic connection isn't there uh, until I really get to know someone on a more deep, personal, like intellectual level. Um, I don't experience like crushes very often or like insta love or anything like that. Um, I view everyone as a base layer as like a friend. And then maybe if you know, we kind of connect from there and I can, you know, there's a bond in some way that's just surf, not just surface level. Then I'm like, hmm, maybe this could be something romantic and then kind of go from there. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think that affects the way you view fiction? No, because I, and also to kind of add on to that, I identify as asexual and I don't, I'm not sexually attracted to anybody, but I love reading books that have sex in it. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, I love talking about it. I love it, celebrating it because it is a thing that obviously people experience and I love that. Um, I don't think it affects my reading other than like um, questioning. So like, and I love that I have my friends where if I'm reading a certain book, I can be like, do people actually really like this? And I can go to my friends and be like, hey, so I read this in a book. <laughs> can you tell me more about this? And then we have these conversations, and I really like that, that my friends aren't super you know, judgmental of the fact that I, I, while I don't experience the same things they do, they're just cool with me to talk about it. Mm. Um, but I will read everything and anything. I'm an experimental reader. I, if anything sounds interesting, I'm going to read it. Um, if I didn't like it, then I can just say, well, at least I read it, you know? Um, and that's just how I've always been. I don't, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you were going to write a romance novel, oh. <laughs> what would you write? Um, that's, oh man, that's so funny because everyone's like, do you write? And I'm like, absolutely not. I don't know how to write anything to, <laughs> to save my life. Um, I think that I would definitely probably write something based off of my life experience. So more of a memoir-ish, but, or I guess like a, a fiction book that has droplets of real things that happened to me as someone who grew up um, uh, surviving like not one but two uh, abusive relationships and then sort of coming into this whole thing about gender and sexuality at a late age. Um, I think a story could be told in that of of maybe finding someone who understands that and sort of helps through that, or even if it just ends in like a platonic thing, I think that's cool too, because hmm. books about platonic love are just as important. <laughs> Ren Rice is great talking to you. Thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs> Ren Rice is the owner and founder of the new bookstore, The Romance Era Bookshop in Vancouver. We end today with your stories. A few days ago, we asked if the holiday season reminds you of any beloved people that you've lost and the dishes that they used to make for special meals. We got a lot of lovely responses. Here are some of them. My mom's no longer with us, but she made a turkey stuffing that everybody remembers. And in fact, today my niece called me and said, do you have Grammy's turkey stuffing recipe? <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. 
but the one thing that we can't add to it that she always did is her amazing love for family. So I always make the stuffing recipe every year. My name's Phil Morris, Malala, Oregon. Thanks so much for wanting to share these old recipes. Hi, Dave. My grandma always made egg noodles to go with turkey leftovers or short ribs, chicken. Uh, You just crack an egg in a bowl, put in a pinch of salt, and half an eggshell of milk. Mix it up and add flour. Roll them out and hang them out over a chair or something. In a couple hours, just cut them into strips and throw them in the stew or the soup. Grandma was born in a sod house in Oklahoma Indian Territory. (laughs) They didn't have any store to go buy those egg noodles at, so... She was Emma Croft, lived in Eugene the last 60 years of her life. And miss her. Bye. Hi, Dave. My name is Diane Peterson. I'm calling from Springfield, Oregon. And I'm calling about my mom, uh, Phyllis Bobian. She made a delicious stuffing. It was a loaf of bread, an onion, equal parts celery, and two sticks of butter. And she would stuff it all into the bird. And um, and it was always delicious and amazing. My brother just reached out the other day to ask about her recipe, and it was not written down, and we tried to remember it from memory, and that's what we came up with, Um, and we're all going to make it for our uh, Thanksgiving dinner. She passed away from ovarian cancer when she was 67 in 2017. Hi, this is Shay Welchel, and I'm calling from Vancouver, Washington. Every time I make mashed potatoes, I remember that I was taught how to make them properly from someone who hated them. I lost my oldest sister, Shannon, nine years ago. She always hated mashed potatoes. And the last time I hosted her family at my house for Thanksgiving, I remember complaining to her that I never liked how my mashed potatoes turned out. And she pointed out that I wasn't putting enough milk in them. So now every time I make mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, I think of Shannon and I swear I can hear her whisper in my ear, put some more milk in there. Hi, my name is Kyle, and I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. And one Thanksgiving meal that uh, that I enjoyed that I no longer get is uh, my grandmother's smoked oyster stuffing. Uh, my grandfather loved it and always asked for it. He is still with us at 101 years old, but uh, Grandma passed away at uh, 98 years old this year. Uh, so it will be a little bit different this year at Thanksgiving without uh, grandma's smoked, smoked oyster stuffing. Hello, my name is Pamela. I'm calling from Westrugal, Washington, and I am calling about my grandmother, Mernie, Grandma Mernie's uh, shortbread cookies. Oh my gosh, she made the best shortbread. I know it's like four ingredients in these certain cake pans, and after she passed, I, I even had the cake pans, and I would use her recipe, and I'm sorry, they are just not the same without Grandma Mernie's magic touch. And so I I can relate to all of those folks that have a favorite recipe and we no longer have the the lovely person around to to put their little special magic into it. Hi, my name is Natalie and I'm calling from Portland. 
And holidays always make me think of my grandmother's sweet yeasted bread. And I have tried and tried to replicate that bread, but it never tastes as good because I'm sure that the missing ingredient is my grandmother's love. Thank you. Hi, this is Liz Coleman from St. Paul, Oregon, and my grandfather used to make artichoke fritters, Italian recipe that I think he came up with in his kitchen, and none of us can quite recreate it. We miss him, and we miss those fritters. Oh, hi. I just heard about Thanksgiving meals and traditions and what you might cook for if somebody's not there anymore, and I feel like this is kind of a problem because I think we've been having creamed pearl onions at our house for somebody who probably wanted it back in, uh, you know, 1834. And I think that sometimes we've we've got to change it up on that. Uh, So good luck and happy Thanksgiving. This is Sarah in Ridgefield. Goodbye. Thanks so much to everybody who shared their memories. Tomorrow on the show, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, we're going to listen back to our conversation with U.S. Poet Laureate Ada Limon. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. So much of what we talk about on this show has to do with what's happening right now. But there's a lot of history behind these conversations. OPB's Salmon Wars podcast will give you insights into some of that history. It tells the story of one Yakima Nation family that's been fighting for salmon in the Columbia River across generations. Find Salmon Wars wherever you listen to podcasts.